0: You can only protect what you know about. So cloud definitely has has opened the doors for misconfigurations and misconfigurations can lead to breaches. Like in a summary that I would say, how cloud has changed the whole security landscape.
1: Hello and welcome to Code to Cloud. I'm Andy Schneider, Field CISO Mayor at Lacework. And I'm looking forward to speak to today's guest, Arunish Salotra. Arunish brings with him more than 23 years of experience like me so we have like 46 years of experience uh, in this podcast and he has a lot of experience across several fields like DevSecOps security, container security, cloud security. He's an award-winning presenter, panelist and author. Aranish, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Andy. Thanks, thanks for having me, and I look forward to our conversation.
1: On your opinion, on your on your journey that you have you have seen from the twenty three years, did anything change when we came to the cloud, or if companies moved to the cloud, is there something new?
0: I think one thing: the attack surface definitely increased many folds. So everything else, maybe ten years uh, ago, was everything was behind the firewalls there was only like a bunch of services which were exposed outside for integrations or maybe websites that were getting created and that was like 10 years ago and it was more manageable. Given possibilities of shadow IT, the attack surface has increased many folds and by attack surface it's not only your websites or your API, it's your source code, it's your wallet, secrets, everything that you are possibly can expose. I'll give an example, If you're working in the financial industry, you will have like a lot of traders or a lot of people running an application on their desktops. And God forbid, if that is exposed outside, that's another asset which is exposed outside, which you don't know anything about. So like they say, you can only protect what you know about. So cloud definitely has has opened the doors uh, for misconfigurations and misconfigurations can lead to breaches. Like in a summary that I would say how cloud has uh, changed the whole security landscape
1: yeah i would i would even say that the cloud is not forgiving so if you do mistakes like misconfigurations as you're so exposed you will feel it very soon you mentioned the the source code that's an interesting one that we didn't touch in 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 the last episodes but actually that's for me like the new crown jewel of everything. From your experience, just
0: let's say a handful of tips, how do you protect your source codes? Many, many years ago I was working for an organization and this is when seam and log aggregation or anything fancy from a UEBA was not even existent. I had a hunch that something was fishy going on with a particular individual and When I looked at some of the basic logging that was there in CVS and SVN, I'm not talking Git or anything, which is like super advanced in terms of what logging and identifying behavior. I found a behavior that there was excessive amount of checkouts that were happening in a short period of time. And again, this was very manual. I kind of figured out that there is a data, not a data, but more of a code leakage that happened and something that I flagged and we were able to bring back the source code into our organization. But again, that was like 15, but that was many, many years ago. And fast forward right now, IP source code is definitely your crown jewel, right? So you have to protect that with utmost importance, whether it's healthcare stuff or, or your training algorithm or, or something equivalent, you have to protect. So you have to actually bring in a lot of different aspects, right? One aspect is even if you're storing your source code internally, there is always a threat of internal actors acting against your firm, right? So you have to actually ensure productive branches is definitely a no-brainer, right? So you want to ensure nobody is able to actually change your master branch. The second thing is you want to ensure like uh, there is backs configured properly, pro- properly in the sense that people who are supposed to have access, proper access, should only have access. Let's say you are a quality assurance engineer at all right. right? So you should only have access to view the code. No edit is required. And in terms of people who are reviewing the code and merging the code, they should have a master or administrative access or or manager access for for your project itself. Everybody else needs to be a developer or a maintainer, something of, of that sort, right? So those are like two of the very basic uh, stuff, right? You can actually go a little more in depth to ensure like the source code is being protected and. And again, like not every organization would host their source code, the GitLab or GitHub on-prem, right? Some might be leveraging stuff on on the cloud itself. So you actually have to manage that particular thing very, very closely. And especially if you are making use of third-party contractors or or vendors out there who have access to your source code, you have to actually analyze like their activity on the source code, how many times the check-in is happening, what they're checking in, and of course if you're working with third parties or contractors you have to actually ensure your reviewer or or somebody who's enabling the merge request is is part of your own specific team right so you need to have like a balanced approach in that one
1: yeah totally agree i i have a similar story i once did a it was intentionally a pen test but we didn't see that the pen test was successful with a purely digital company what they achieved, they found like unsecured credentials to, to access a CICD user in a repository. They took that over and they were able to completely change the complete code and they pushed malicious code to production. They had control over the whole CICD pipeline, they could pause all security checks that we had implemented and then re-enable them afterwards. So we saw, okay, something was weird, but oh, everything is running, all is good. So it shows that the repository is really key, not to everything, but it's something that you should not forget in your whole cloud security AppSec journey. If I look back, uh, back the years when I was uh, a CISO and also a security practitioner, I never looked at the repository. So Does it also mean that the skills security leaders need, that they change if you move to the cloud?
0: Absolutely. I'm not sure if there has been a survey done of background for every CISO. Some CISOs come with a pure network background, some come with like application security, some with like a threat intel background. But I think the skills and then your awareness definitely changes many fold, right? Like cloud was very different when when we initially started, right? Guest three buckets, all the misconfiguration that I've seen in the the news was fairly new for most of the security practitioners. And now you actually fast forward six, seven years uh, ahead in 2023. You have container security, you have API security. The attack surface itself is, is very different, right? So having that awareness of what can possibly go wrong, having an awareness of not just the field itself, but also understanding who are the key players, what is the value proposition of the solution that they're building? How does it apply to my organization? Is it even the right fit? There is a lot of, I would say, like pressure on on uh, security leaders, security practitioners to not only have, realize the need for, for a particular control that you need to have within your organization, but at the same time, trying to figure out what solution actually fits your organization based on the culture, your integrations. From a CICD perspective, does it have like integration enabled for the CI solution that you are using?
1: There's that controversial discussion that I'm, I'm following that today's security practitioners need to be able to write code. So they need to have developer skills. Some say it's better to have the developers having security skills. So if you would look at that, what's your gut feeling? Should developers take over more security tasks or should security people be more developers and have more an engineering mindset I think
0: Mm -hmm. it's a healthy balance of two but I'm going to say it's it's more of the former where you want like developers to take the load from security teams because security teams as as you might be aware is like the ratio could be anywhere from like one to thousand developers or one to hundred or one to fifty itself right so definitely security is is not something that can scale according to your number of applications. So you have to bring in more developers who are like security friends. They can actually take responsibility. And whenever I talk about security, I take it back to maybe 15 years ago where quality assurance was the in thing, right? You were looking at how do I make my code more performant? How do I make my code more resilient from like a null pointer exception or like a Java null pointer exception, all those things. So you actually have to actually bring solutions within the organization to empower developers to do the right thing. Some organization even scale that particular thing to create security champions who may be coming from an SRE background or DevOps background or maybe developers who are like savvy about what's happening in in security or what's happening in infrastructure. You have to identify those people and scale your program according to that one.
1: Yeah, I did the I did the similar thing. So like we called it also security champions or security ambassadors, but they were part of that group. To that point, you mentioned that SRE background, picking someone from there. How do you tell developers today or such a security champion what they shall do in security? What were things that worked well so that developers actually take over security tasks? So
0: yeah, of course. These days it's it's fairly easy for selling security to developers. Like anytime you open Reddit or or any of the social media platforms, you see like constant stream of breaches happening, right? Malware attack, ransomware attack happening left, right and center, right? And because developers are are technical in nature, right? They have a technical hat that they they bring into the organization so they can easily identify or understand what's happening, right? So you're not preaching to somebody who doesn't understand technology. But if you correlate like a dollar figure... For a particular breach, if your application goes down in your production application goes down because of a bug in your code, you understand the the key importance for quality assurance, right? The same thing applies on security aspect. You have to make sure you're looking at your source code from different lenses, like whether you're uh, talking about your first-party code or your third-party code itself. There is an inherent risk in every aspect, right? If you're creating like a web-facing application itself, you have to think about okay is my application prone to a, like a sql injection as simple as that right that's the start of conversation but it doesn't end there right you actually have to empower the developer tools so that they can capture or catch those exceptions as early as like their development in within their ide if you can actually do a sast scanning as early as your Build time. It's it's much more easier to fix those things rather like catching them in, in in your QA or maybe in production.
1: So on the left side. So that's the shift left, whatever push left, shift left.
0: Of course, you cannot fix everything, right? If if you're running like a legacy shop itself, you cannot fix all the things, right? So you actually have to bring in control like a compensatory controls, which may not be able to be fixed in in your CI/CD pipeline, but can be captured maybe from a zero-trust aspect, right? You can actually think about micro-segmentation, for example. But once you bring like an agent on, on those endpoints, you have to actually ensure like it doesn't break anything. It's not causing CPU spikes or memory spikes in in your environment, right?
1: I often have discussions with developer teams that they just purely focus on, let's say, the left side. So the proactive way of avoiding that bad things might happen later. So, but I'm more an advocate of really Pushing left and also shifting right. So you have to do both sides. So without that. So I always compare it with like, if you have a kid, you can remove all the burnable materials in your house. That's the, let's say, doing the things on the left side. But having a fire sensor might be a good idea. It's the only thing that detects a fire. And maybe you want to have that in the room of your kid. So of your crown jewel. You have a strong background in, or as, as I hear in application security. Is there something where you think that is missing today from security leaders?
0: Back in the days, uh, vulnerability management, which was more focused on your OS, your network level issues, right? That was taking the center stage. And because more and more organizations are becoming digital, uh, of course, some organizations are definitely creating their own application, they're hosting their own applications on-prem or on the cloud. So, AppSec is, is, uh, I would say, like it's gaining the traction that it truly deserves. But what is missing is like an inventory of everything that you have, right? And try to do the correlation between your like physical assets or, or your VMs or EC2 instances or, or your serverless stuff, right? And trying to correlate it back to your application, your, your source code itself. So there are a couple of things that I would see are important or maybe even missing in some of the organization. First aspects is creating a complete inventory of, of your systems, Right. I'll take a simple example. If you have multiple websites that you're hosting for for your organization, how do you correlate that one to your CMDB? Are my number of endpoints, my number of APIs that I have are, are getting reflected in CMDBs or not, right? Because most of the automation are keying off your data that's is there in your CMDB. So inventory is definitely one of the, the big big challenge for, for organization because there are applications which are getting updated almost on a a weekly basis, right? And there are applications which are getting deprecated because of X, Y, and Z reason. Maybe you're exiting a particular business or you're onboarding a new business. You are having new applications in there. Inventory definitely is one. The second aspect is how do you identify who's the owner for those applications? If something happens, right? You should be able to identify who's my business owner, who's my application owner, who's my support owner, and what is my point of escalation? And if you're talking in a tune of maybe 100 application or maybe 500 or maybe 1,000 plus application, right? The the complexity increases, right? So you actually have to rely on a lot of automation. And quite frankly, because security is fairly new for most of the organization in this particular space. And if you're a small shop, it can be a huge undertaking to build that automation to ensure like everything that you have is, is reflected into like a source of truth, right?
1: Automate everything. That's the one thing I learned in my career. Everything that you can automate, do it. It'd be a lifesaver for you because you can then maybe sleep better. Let's move on. So what would be an ideal uh, security leader look like for you?
0: Security leader definitely needs to be inquisitive, should question everything, not just because he or she is being asked from your management to control the budget. Understand how the technology really works, how the infrastructure works. How do you spin up resources? Application architectures are important, but I think like you have to also identify that security leaders could be working in organizations which don't have any internal application. They're just hosting third-party application and running an insurance business, for example, right? But having a base understanding of your infrastructure, your application, your thread intel, how do you actually correlate your thread intel feeds into what's sitting in your organization and and try to analyze, am I really being exposed? In application or a SCA space, there is um, a talk of reachability analysis, These right? Some scanners would say, okay, you're using this particular library, that's why you're exposed, so you cannot use this particular library. But if you look, peel the covers, you say, okay, I'm using this particular library, but I'm not even calling this particular method because of which this library X is being tagged as being vulnerable. So having an appreciation that you're not just looking like a binary decision of yes or no, right? Am I in the control path? So somebody who has that mindset, yes, it needs to be a risk-based approach for remediation, right? If my vulnerability is not going to be exposed, why am I even blocking that particular artifact in the first place? Or if I'm running like a infrastructure stuff, which is has a particular cv associated with that maybe i don't even need to actually fix it if it's not even in line
1: got it fully understand that um if you look back in your career what was your biggest learning that you have made
0: there is another program that i led almost 11 years ago there is a solution which does uh, a batch automation uh, it's called like bmc controller and and i led the global imp- implementation of that one and I think I inherently come with the background of like, how do I break stuff? In that one, I was analyzing uh, use cases where I can actually possibly cause like an issue with my organization. Because back in the days, the agents for that particular application used to run as root. And people with malicious intent, right, can really go at a job, say, I have access to that one. And I can change a well-drafted like command line, say, okay, Give me all the log files. I'm doing like a cat on on my listing, right? I can easily change that particular command, saying okay, rm minus rf slash blah, right? So you're basically rendering your infrastructure unresponsive, and that can definitely have like monetary implications, reputation implication. So I detected that as a use case. I brought it back to BMC in terms of this is probably not the right approach to run your agent as root, right? So that was another one that stands out. And there's another project that I think I'm like very proud of, like implementing that one in my previous organization. Everything that we talk about micro segmentation these days, I created something very similar with the approach or the intent very different. What I wanted to capture, like what are my connections in my production environment, like captured those in some sort of a database, tried to figure out, okay, these are my connections that I see, which are transient. These are the connections which are persistent. And if I'm doing a maintenance or I'm doing like, uh, there is some outage, right? I need to be able to identify, okay, what is my impact across my organization? And this was not a small organization. So created something similar, but the intent was different. But now I look forward in 2023, there are a lot of organizations or, or vendors which do micro segmentation. Concept remains the same, but the lens is more on security side, Right. So one of the things that we started doing in my previous organization was taking the data from, from this particular database itself and apply those for ensuring my firewall rules are intact. Mm-hmm. Whatever mm-hmm. baseline I've I've created is exactly what needs to be done. Everything else is is in a blocking mode.
1: What would you say were the things that you learned didn't work? So like one thing where you say, this just didn't work in my career. I
0: can think of one thing, uh, but I think like towards the end, we made it work. So I'm not so like it. Uh, the initial design that we have for creating a data lake for for, again, like it was not a security specific issue. It was something else. So we're looking at building like a data lake to make some decision making. And of course, if you don't take the scalability into the equation itself, it's going to hit roadblock, right? So you actually have to either redesign or gut the whole program. Or try to see,, okay, how do I make it work, right? So you actually bring in other folks in, into that program and see, okay, is it not working because of performance reasons? or It's an infrastructure issue or may, maybe the architecture needs to be like tweaked a little bit where you can actually make it more performant or maybe I need to just change my database or my move from RDBMS to NoSQL, right? So that would definitely require change. So that data lake definitely stands out in my recent recollection.
1: It was really, you could even say once upon a time. It's really long ago, more than 20 years ago. And I was working at a bank with a trainee together. And I was working on mainframe systems. So when you mentioned BMC, it really reminds me back. We created on the mainframe a hypervise. There was a hypervise available. And we created a web frontend, end, a console where you could order Linux on demand. It just took like 30 seconds, and then you had your completely fresh Linux So you, with a click of a button. So we created created that. The idea was to compete with the Unix colleagues, and we would, oh, the idea for me was we offer that to the external market as well. Then I went to the management and, and showed it, and they said, who in the world would ever want Linux systems on demand by pressing a button? No one wants that. The real thing are data centers and bare metal. So what did I do? I threw it away. I thought, no one needs that. So three years later, AWS became like the thing and the cloud started. So I thought I should have followed that dream a little bit more. But I guess I was not the inventor inventor of the cloud, but actually it was like the same thing. So never give up your dreams. That was my
0: Yeah, I mean, like, we all have stories. We also have like regrets in our lives. So maybe I should have like yeah. pushed forward and we both would be like sailing or maybe golfing at this point in time.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. So um, let's, let's move on. So when we last talked, you mentioned that you are also a fractional CISO. So for the audience out there, what is a fractional CISO? How would you describe that?
0: Sort of like a new thing that's coming to the market where if you're working for a SMB shop itself, right? Small or medium business itself, where they don't really need like a like a full-time CISO, but need somebody with a mindset of security, maybe somebody coming from a technical program management background, trying to say, okay, if I want to ensure I can secure my organization, secure my assets, secure my data like how do i engage like somebody with a, a decent security background and it's it's more of an engagement where you bring somebody for a short period of time where that individual looks at your current footprint right does like a security assessment and try to see okay here you are this is the journey that you need to follow if you want to be there to meet your regulatory obligations to meet reputational aspects or or something of that sort right And not every organization needs to go from one to five, for example, right? So you will probably be good at coming at level three, right? And level three doesn't mean like it needs to be done for every single aspect, right? You can say for my application security, I might be at a level three or my EDR, I might be at a level two. But coming to a level where you can at least say, okay, this is my intent or this is my end goal itself. And what is my journey on that one? So you can actually put like a program together. How do you scale your application security program or your cloud security or container security or your endpoint end itself for your phishing? So it's it's really defined uh, that individual comes, does the assessment and puts a roadmap together. And sometimes it also involves getting the right set of solutions that the organization currently does not have. Right, And sometimes it means you already are, are implementing some solutions but it's not configured properly according to the industry best practices, and also some of the fractal CISO would come with like a heavy understanding of the GRC side of the world as well, right? You understand the compliance, you understand the the regulations. As simple as doing like a NIST 853, for example, to to achieve that particular state in say x number of quarters or maybe x number of years. But that that individual will come with a mindset or exposure in in. In the technical side, as well as in the compliance side, maybe the privacy side, and try to educate and work with uh, individuals within the SMB shops mostly.
1: I see that trend from, uh, however you call it, like CISO on demand, virtual CISO, fractional CISO. So it's good for the advisory part and really helping the company or achieving a a certain level of security, is there a difference from a responsibility accountability part? Because as a CISO, usually you are like the one you get fired if something else goes wrong. As a fractional CISO, this is you might lose, uh, of course, that job part. But is there a difference? Do you feel that difference, or would you say there is no real difference between, let's say, an operational internal CISO or a fractional CISO?
0: So, so to answer your question, I think I answer it more of yes and no. No meaning that if there is a breach in an organization, let's say after an assessment and remediation report is is completed, there there is no exposure for the fractional CISO. Whereas if it's a resident uh, CISO within the organization, your name is out there. Somebody in the C-suite is definitely on the chopping block. But in case of a fractional CISO, the engagement is done and you always have this particular thing that this was my recommendation that I provided to the company and then you're walking out the door, right? From a yes perspective, I would say, yes, there is a reputational risk involved in that one. Let's say you do like a cloud assessment for an organization and one week after that one, there is a breach in the organization. Definitely the company can actually quote you that we hired this particular individual, supposedly a security leader. So you definitely will not be able to as successful as you want to be.
1: So we come closely to an end. So let's come to the last part, some rapid fire questions. So what's one tool you can't live
0: without? Can't live without is like your CMDB, a golden source of truth.
1: Very good. What's the most important habit an IT or security leader can have?
0: Be inquisitive all the time and question every decision. Which may not have any implement implications to budgetary line. Who do you look up in the space? I l- look up to many individuals. I look up to my security engineers or or my peers or or some organization. But my golden standard is definitely what Netflix is doing. I really like that.
1: What's the one tip you would offer listeners to increase their cybersecurity?
0: Uh, definitely look at your asset inventory. Make sure uh, it's hundred percent. It's accurate. It should be automatable and you should always drive towards automating everything that you have. And one thing that we didn't cover, and I probably want to bring that one, is risk-based prioritization, right? Every prioritization that you are happening with, say, 10,000 of, of these issues, you should actually look at prioritization your risk based on your business context, what's happening in, in, in the dark web, have like a feed coming into your organization, which say, I shouldn't be even even need to fix any of this. From day one, right? Your feed like CESA or EPSS is definitely driving uh, towards that one. But having like understanding of what's happening out there is, is very, very important.
1: I love that. Um, so in case someone wants to connect with you or follow you, where's the best place? Twitter, LinkedIn, where can they find you?
0: Definitely on LinkedIn. Definitely on LinkedIn.
1: So that's a wrap for today. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you found value in what you've heard today, Please subscribe or write us a review. And I hope to see you next time to Code to Cloud. This podcast is brought to you by Lacework, the leading data-driven cloud-native application protection platform. Lacework is trusted by nearly a thousand global innovators to secure the cloud from build to run. Lacework delivers true end-to-end protection, empowering customers to prioritize risks, find known and unknown threats faster, achieve continuous cloud compliance, and work smarter, not harder, all from one unified platform. Learn more at lacework.com.